You're listening to Just Believe, sponsored by Just Believe Recovery Centers, with your host, Brenda Swift, as she discusses all aspects of addiction, recovery, and sober living. And now, your host of Just Believe, Brenda Swift. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Just Believe Radio. I am your host, Brenda, and we are here on 900 AM, the talk of the Palm Beaches, Monday through Sunday at 3 p.m., And we do have a call-in number for anyone looking to get help that wants to get started on the process of ending the pain of addiction, and that's 877-309-3635. That's 877-309-3635. And I am quite excited to have a guest on the show today that has a, a wealth of experience to share with our listeners in a number of different areas. I'd like to welcome to the show Nikki. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Nikki. And you're calling from Pennsylvania? Yes, I am. Welcome. And now uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, you do have some recovery experience. And for those that aren't familiar with the show, it is a talk show about addiction and recovery. And uh, we share stories about how we got to recovery as well as uh, where addiction took us and try to help those that are looking to get help as well as um, the families that don't understand what's happening to their loved one. Uh, now, what was your family history? Did you come from an addictive home, Nikki? I came from um, my dad's side of the family. Pretty much they all are alcoholics, but um, they don't think that they are because, you know, alcohol is legal, so they don't think that they have a problem. So, of course. Um, I come from pretty much an alcoholic family. Okay, and uh, parties and all of the normal stuff on the weekends that we got used to growing up. I, I'm guessing you didn't really know that there was anything really that different. Um, than no, I pretty much went life thinking that it was just normal to drink beer like it was water, pretty much. You know, like every time you'd go to the refrigerator, it would be a beer, and, you know. Of course. Stuff like that. And I was the type that, you know, the family taught me young where, like, oh, go pour my beer for me because they had taps downstairs, like a whole bar set up. So I was pretty young. I was about 12 when I started pouring beers for, like, my dad, my uncles, and them, and kind of went from there. I started experimenting. Like, I started drinking then with probably about 13 when I started. Um, I just thought that was a normal way of life. I didn't really think that there was any different way to live life besides drinking beer all the time, so... Oh, absolutely. A lot of us grew up that way. didn't realize that there was mm-hmm. another way. And what, oh, when yeah. was, did you have an immediate resp- uh, reaction to alcohol? Did it have an effect for you or did that kind of build? I loved it. I thought that it took all my problems away. I was that awkward girl in school where I didn't really fit in anywhere. Like I didn't have like a clique to hang out with. I was kind of by myself and that took it away for me. Like, it was a release from reality for me. At that time, I didn't really think that. I just thought, oh, this is fun. Everybody does it, you know. But um, for me, it, you know, made me come out of my shell. I, you know, could talk to people more openly and not be so shy or inward and stuff. So at that time, I thought it was actually helping me be a better person. (laughs) Yeah, we feel that way, especially when, you know, you feel like you've got all the right things to say and we look great. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I was the life of the party, you know what I mean? And that time I thought it was great and not thinking that, you know, being drunk and acting silly and stuff doesn't really get you a lot of friends or isn't healthy for you. So, Absolutely. And then I grew up, like, you know, everybody at that time when I turned 16, 17, all my friends started drinking. That was like the weekend parties or the after the football games, we'd go drink and 
that was more of when the pills started coming on the scene for me. I started hearing about Vicodins and Percocets and, you know, here, take this, it'll give you energy or, you know. So I dabbled in this and that. And marijuana, I smoked marijuana around 17. I started doing that as well. Um, it became, you know, I saw people doing it. So I was like, oh, I'll do that too. I was more of a follower than a leader. So I pretty much went with the flow of whatever was in front of me I did. Of course. <laughs> and for the those that are just joining us, we are Just Believe Radio. We are here on uh, 900 AM, the talk of the Palm Beaches. And we have a call in line for anybody looking for help or for themselves or a loved one that's 877-309-3635. And... Um, so when did you start to realize that there was actually a problem with it? It seemed like it kind of just went with the flow of, of what you were surrounded um, with. I really didn't think I had a problem with it until I actually started doing heroin. It was when I think I realized that, oh, maybe it's more than, you know what I mean? Because I was brought up with, the, well, the prescription pills were prescribed to somebody, so it had to be okay to take it. And, you know, the alcohol was legal, so that was okay to do. And then um, I met my father's, or my son's father, and he introduced me to heroin, and uh, the first time I took it, it was like, oh my God, I had so much energy, and it was so wonderful, and you know what I mean, and that first bag that I took a heroin was the first time I realized I was addicted. After that, I couldn't stop. It was it took me that one time, and I realized, oh, I have a problem. I can't function, you know. Why is it so hard for me to get out of bed? Why am I sweating? Why do I have leg cramps? Why do I, you know... What is this withdrawal? I didn't know what withdrawal was. I didn't even really know what addiction was at that time, you know. So the heroin, I'd say probably about 21 years old is when I realized I had a problem. Oh, okay. And so you're, you said your baby's, um, I'm sorry, hold on a second. Yeah, my son's father. <laughs> he was the one that introduced it to me. Um, he put it in front of me. We, I was living in an apartment, and he came over and um so it didn't really tell me what it was. It just told me it was going to give me energy if I liked Vicodins and stuff, that I would definitely like this. So at that time, I didn't care what I was doing to my body. So I was like, yeah, sure. You know what I mean? I'll try this if he's doing it. And then, you know, obviously he'll like me more if I do it. So of course, of course. I took it. <laughs> and then uh, my life just went downhill from there. It just went completely spiraled out of control. So did you, was your family aware this was going on at the time, or were you pretty good at hiding it? Uh, I was really it? good at hiding it. I isolated from my family, so I really didn't go around my family too much unless I needed money or, you know, I needed a bill paid or, you know, my car broke down, can somebody fix it? They started noticing when um, I would start taking money from, you know, random places. I would take change that was laying around the house and um, I'd start stealing money from wallets. I'd take $20 here and there from, you know, my mom and dad's wallets and stuff and then act like I didn't steal it or I would blame my brother saying he must have stole it and stuff. And um, that was pretty much when they really started noticing. I started losing a lot of weight. I wasn't eating because, you know, if I ate, then my high would go away. So I wouldn't eat. I'd just constantly do drugs. Um, I would go missing for, you know, weeks on end and then just come back acting like nothing was wrong. Stuff like that would really, you know, my family really started picking up on. Of course, and and the whole time the person that you're involved with is doing the same thing. So there's there's no, he's not going to point out your problem, or he he'd have to point out his own. Exactly, and his mom was the dealer. You know what I mean? So we got the drugs from her. So it was kind of like I just lived there. Like I just moved myself in and just stayed there because I knew I could constantly get drugs there. I didn't know anybody else at that time to get drugs from because it was just me and him doing it. 
Um, and then eventually we broke up because, you know, he didn't think the baby was his. It turned into this whole, you know, dramatic scene that comes with using all the drama that comes with it. And uh, so I moved back in with my grandmother. At that time, I was, um, I had Jacob, my son, for about two years into my addiction. And um, my grandma told me, either, you know, you got to get clean or we're taking your son off of you. There's no, you know, they can't, they didn't want, you know, an addictive mother using to have their child. So um, I opted to go to a um, rehab. I went to a 28-day rehab. Um, and then I stayed there for 28 days. They recommended me going to a halfway house. I thought I was cured. So I was like, no, I'm just going to come back. I need to be a mother. I need to, you know, get back into my motherly duties. And I stayed clean for probably about six months. And then I started hanging around with the same people, places, and things, and I started using again. Um, I first started with weed. I said, oh, I can just smoke weed. You know, that's not heroin, so I can function with that. And then I'd, you know, dabble in alcohol again, and then I just went straight back to heroin, and then I picked up a crack addiction. So it kind of got worse my second time, like my first time getting clean than, you know, when I was originally using. And that's so what they, um, a lot of people don't quite um, understand that it's not something that we get fixed. You know, we don't change where we can have a couple drinks or we can smoke a couple joints and be okay. It's exactly. anytime we're going to something else to change how we feel, it, it ends up sending us back to uh, our drug of choice. And for those mm-hmm. that are just joining us, uh, you are listening to Just Believe Radio. And I have my guest Nikki on the line today telling us her story of addiction and recovery. We also have a call in line for those that are hearing things that they're starting to recognize and, and know the pain that we're talking about of, of being in addiction and want to get some help. That number is 877-309-3635. And now you mentioned that you, you had a baby in the midst of all of, of this. Was there any type of anyone charged intervention or anything to, to stop what was going on for you? My grandma, she was a very big supporter of she was the only one in my family that didn't turn their back on me, and she tried to never make me feel ashamed of being an addict. You know what I mean? Like, she would always try to make it, like, we're just trying to help you. Not like She never made me feel like you're just taking my child away from me and, you know what I mean, kind of so well. Um, she was my biggest supporter. She was the one that sent me to the 28-day rehab, and then she actually kept my son while I went to rehab because I you know, didn't want my son going into foster care or any kind of other place. So I, um, she was fortunate enough she could take him for me. So she was my biggest supporter. Was she um, also an enabler for you during the addiction that, that helped you? Very to- much so. She was the one that would pay for all my bills. If I would go and say, I would go, my rent was $3 at the time because I lived in um, a living income-based place because I didn't have a job. And, uh, I couldn't even pay $3 a month in rent. So she would pay my whole year rent for me. And uh, I'd come back and be like, oh, my electric bill needs paid. And she would give me the money for it. Well, I would go take that money and get high, and my electric would still get shut off. So, And then it got to the point where she would pay my bill for me. Like, I couldn't get the money. She would just take my bill and pay it for me because she thought that was, you know, I wasn't spending the money on drugs. But it still wasn't letting me be responsible to have to pay for those bills. I knew she would take care of it for me, so I didn't even try. You know what I mean? To to pay anything or do any responsibilities as an adult. Absolutely, and that's that's part of what we try to um, send a message out to the families that are listening is that you know the 
people that we love that are in the middle of addiction, it is so hard to watch them destroying themselves and not do anything. We're so afraid mm-hmm. that they'll die, that they'll never come back, that we basically try to pick up what we can and make changes to, to what they're doing to themselves, but we keep them from seeing what they're actually doing. We keep them from their consequences of the behavior. Yep. And and like you said, as long as grandma's paying everything, then there was no mm-hmm. uh, no reason to, to have to stop and do anything any different. You just had the ability to just keep right on going. Uh, exactly. we, we are going to take a quick break and come back and continue uh-huh. with Nikki's story. And I'm excited to uh, get into some of the other details that we're talking about getting into recovery. So we'll be right back. At Just Believe Recovery Center, their highly trained staff has a combined 50 years in recovery and is certified to help with each client's individual needs. The program at Just Believe Recovery Center brings those suffering from addiction and their families the understanding needed to begin healing from the devastation and begin the path to a new and fulfilling life in recovery. The staff understands what addiction has done to your family and that no one chooses to become sick. At Just Believe Recovery Center, with a therapeutic process and a caring staff that understands addiction, their clients can choose to become well. Go to JustBelieveRadio.com for more details and call their 24-hour hotline today, 877-309-3635. That's 877-309-3635 for caring guidance and an end to the pain of addiction now. Just believe there is another chance and call 877-309-3635 today. Welcome back to Just Believe, sponsored by Just Believe Recovery Centers, with your host, Brenda Swift, as she discusses all aspects of addiction, recovery, and sober living. Now, back to your host, Brenda Swift. Welcome back to Just Believe Radio. I'm your host, Brenda, and we are here on 900 AM, the talk of the Palm Beaches, Monday through Sunday. Uh, at 3 p.m., and we also on the weekends now are in New York, 103.9 FM LI News Radio, and that will be Saturday and Sunday at 3 p.m. as well. And we also have a call in line that's really important for anyone that's struggling, that's starting to, to get an understanding of the fact that it does require help to start to make changes to addiction. That number is 877 877- Three zero nine three six three five, and I would like to welcome back to the show my guest Nikki. Thank you. Thank you. And you've been telling us a story that that a lot of people have a hard time understanding exactly how it continues the way it does. And and what I was hoping you might be able to to give a little insight on is were there different times that you were actually trying to quit? I, how how did it actually feel to be stuck in the middle of it? Um, there was a couple times I tried. I, uh, thought that I could ration out instead of doing so many bags of heroin, I would cut down or only try to do, you know, so many so I wouldn't get sick. Um, the first time I tried by myself to just quit heroin, I just said, I'm not doing this anymore. And probably about six hours into it, I felt like I was dying. I, you know what I mean? The leg cramps. I had hot and cold sweats. It was like a really, really bad cold that I thought was going to kill me. Like, I didn't... And the first time I started going through withdrawals, I didn't know it was withdrawal, and I really thought I was coming down with a flu or something, you know, and then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And <laughs> that was when they, um, my, you know, son's father told me the withdrawal symptoms and, you know, this is what comes with doing heroin. And by this time, I was already probably about three years into my addiction. So I, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty rough for me, um, 
it got to the point where I just couldn't do it by myself. I tried and I tried and I tried and I would just give in every time. I would just, oh, I'm just going to do this one bag and then this one bag would turn into, you know, 10 bags later that, you know, I was completely zoned out and forgot that I was even trying to get off of heroin. Absolutely. And that's that's the hard part is that we we don't realize when we're in it that we truly don't have any power over what the drugs have done to us. It changes mm-hmm. our brain chemistry. It changes how we react to things. It is a medically recognized disease. And a lot of people don't understand that. They think it's mm-hmm. a willpower um, issue, a moral issue, and uh, mm-hmm. it could never happen to them. <laughs> my, my family was the family that, you know, why can't you just get over it or just stop doing it? Or, you know, you're doing this to yourself, you know, like they didn't understand so they would blame me for it, which then would make me feel like, what's wrong with me? Is I can't just quit doing this, you know? Like, my family thinks I can just stop, so I should just be able to stop. And I couldn't stop. Against your own will. You'll, you'll actually take off against your own will. And that's one of the things that are that's so insidious about it is that thought that just one wouldn't mm-hmm. hurt. And uh, then yep. you're off and running again, and it's, it's the nightmare all over again and being locked mm-hmm. in so much. So when... What was the sequence of events that actually got you to the point of being able to realize that it it was time to get some help? I stole a, I broke into my mom's house and stole a check, and I wrote it out for $500. My mom and her husband pressed charges on me. Um, the bank made them in order for them to get their money back because she bounced a bunch of checks and, you know, all her bills and stuff since I stole all the money. Um, they pressed charges. I had to do probation where all I had to do was mail-in probation. They weren't drug testing me or doing anything. They took it very easy since it was my first time in trouble. And um, I couldn't even do that. I would just forget to mail them in. I, I just didn't care. I was so consumed in my addiction. I couldn't write a letter and, you know, say here I was and this and that. Um, they actually, I ended up going to jail. They um, put me in county for six months because my probation officer kept drug testing me. After, after I had the write-ins and I couldn't do that, they put me on regular probation where a probation officer would come drug test me or I would have to go to the courthouse and be drug tested. And I didn't even care that I was failing drug tests. I knew that I was going to fail them, and I still went and failed them anyway. And um, they put me in jail for six months, which then I found out in jail I was pregnant again. Um, I actually went through um, a ser- services to give my baby up for adoption because I had one child that I couldn't take care of and... It would be selfish of me to try to keep another child where I didn't even know where I was going to be, you know, nine months from then. So um, I actually set up everything in county where I, um, for the adoption and stuff, and um, they sent me to straight from jail to a women and children's program, um, and it was about six hours away from where I live. And I had my baby there, and I gave the baby up for adoption there, and I said, I can't do this anymore. I, you know gave a baby up for adoption. That same week, I found out my other son that I do have has autism. Um, it was just like the week that like I found out all kinds of stuff. And it was just like, I can't do this to myself anymore. I can't do this to my son anymore. It's just not fair. I need help. And that's when I hit my knees and I started praying really hard. And um, the rehab that I went to, that was it was a six-month rehab. And then from six months, I went to a six-month halfway house. From six-month halfway house, I went to a three-quarter house. And then I finally moved out on my own. So it was a very long process for me. And in the beginning, I didn't want to. I was just doing it just because I wanted to not be, you know, so far away from my home and stuff. I just wanted to complete it and get out. 
And that turned into, I, but they told me, shut up and listen. And you know what I mean? You're going to hear a miracle. You just have to wait for it. And I heard it. I, you know, people, I started going to these meetings and stuff, and they were, you know, they were all saying the same story I had, which I thought was crazy. Like, I didn't think anybody else was going through the insanity that I went through. And I found out they're all going through it. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's that's what's so phenomenal about the program. I, a lot of people we've talked about on the show before, they, they, they feel that physical sickness and they just decide that detox is going to fix them. And there's just mm-hmm. so much more to why we actually get hooked in. I mean, you can get a physical addiction just by taking something, obviously. But that mm. craving for more that, that is so insidious that, that keeps us going back um, over and over until it, it becomes a, a way of life and then and inevitably steals our life. Uh, that's, exactly. that's what separates those of us in addiction um, from, from regular people. And the long-term programs are, are so much better because it is a relearning how to live and be able to process feelings that we just really didn't know how to do. And for those that are just joining us, we are at Just Believe Radio. I am here with my guest, Nikki, and we are a show about addiction and recovery and the solution that, uh, that really can change the lives of those, that, uh, those of us that were hopeless and helpless at one time to, to the addiction. And um, what... You had you said you went to treatment for six months and then were um, involved six months and a half way, and the three quarter house. So that was a total of a year and a half. Yep, that's phenomenal. Yep. That's phenomenal. I had to. I mean, it, when I say I have to learn everything again, I had to learn how to live basic things. Like I had to reteach myself to shower every day. You know, I would go weeks without showering because I was you know so high out of my mind. I had to learn that wasn't normal. You know, that's not a normal way of life. So, like, that whole year and a half taught me not only how to live my life, but reinforced it. So I had to do it that way. And that's why I believe in, like, the long-term things so much, because the 28-day programs, they, you know, they teach you stuff and you get the knowledge, but you don't have enough time to apply it into your real life. And I think that's where I went wrong. Like, I needed to actually apply everything, you know, with that guidance of still having people to support me before I went out on my own. Absolutely, in a safe environment where you, where you don't have the, the possibility of running out and using right away when things get uncomfortable because we're, we're used to just numbing things as soon as they get uncomfortable. Exactly. And uh, now you are currently employed and you have your son and, and things are, are how, how long have you been clean and sober now? Um, in November, it'll be seven years. Oh, congratulations. That is phenomenal. Thank you. And, um, yeah, and I, I mean, I was the statistic that, you know, I should have been dead in the box. So that's why I like to talk a lot about it because I feel people who don't think that they have any hope, they do have hope because I didn't have hope and I'm seven years clean in this, so. And that is phenomenal. And one of the things that I know that you maintain as well as I do is, is the uh, 12-step programs to be able to, you know, we talk about the detox isn't a quick fix, treatment isn't a quick fix, and, and even mm-hmm. extended care like you had still doesn't put you back into life with everything fixed without having to have a daily maintenance routine of some kind to keep you aware of what uh, the little games addictions will play in your mind. Is, is, has that been your experience staying in the 12-step programs? Oh, yes. The 12-step program has helped me not just with my drug addiction, but my I apply it to my everyday life. Like, I mean, people think when they get clean, everything's just going to magically be great and happy and everything, all your problems are going to go away. 
And I had a lot of problems after I got clean that I had to struggle with. You know, I had to do the adoption of my son, my other son having autism. And there's days where my son will act up so bad that I get so stressed out that I'm like, oh, my God. And then I go to the 12 steps. And I'm like, how can I apply this in my everyday life? And it's what keeps me sane. I mean, that's the only way that I could possibly be clean this long. Oh, absolutely. I, I think actually they should teach the 12 steps in like the school curriculum. I, <laughs> oh, I don't think I do, I do too. <laughs> normal people have any idea. Even the people in my family that are not uh, addicts or alcoholics, they don't they don't have those basic skills. I, we were never taught them. You know, parents didn't know them. And it's just mm-hmm. a way of living that is is uh, actually gives us coping skills to deal with what mm-hmm. life brings. And and that's one of the things that I'm hearing from you know anybody that stays clean for any length of time and sober is that they stay in an active program that keeps it fresh and keeps uh, the opportunity not only to to use the coping skills that the programs offer but also to help others uh, to do the same to remind us of where we came from and where we go right back to if we don't maintain that program do you you actually work with a lot of sponsees and such um lately i have not been because i was in the process of moving back to um where i came like where I, i live and uh so i've kind of been not on top of that but I have, um, I'm really big in the church. Like, right now, God is my, like, they say your higher power, like, whatever your higher power is. Um, mine is God, and, like, I am getting more active in churches and stuff, and um, actually there's a program down here where um, it's a bunch of people who've lost loved ones from addiction, and they try to break the stigma and, you know, do all that, and I've been trying to get involved with that more, um, just trying to help as much as I can help me helping people or me spreading my word helps me a lot because it reminds me of where I came from and I can't forget where I came from because the day I forget where I come from is the day that I'll pick up again. Absolutely. Now for anyone out there that's listening that that wants to start on this path and knows that it's time to but doesn't quite have the courage to pick up the phone yet, what kind of hope would you offer them that might inspire them to do that? I would tell them, I mean, my thing for me was I didn't want to admit I had a problem. I thought I could fix it myself. I didn't want to ask other people for help. And I would tell anybody who's struggling to ask for the help because you need it. It's not just going to come to you. It's not, you know, just going to fall on your doorstep. There's so many resources out there that you could use. You know, call somebody, get into somewhere, you know, do what you have to. Um, My big thing was family. I didn't want to let my family down, you know. Don't worry about anybody else. You need to worry about yourself first. You can't do anything else with anybody else until you fix yourself and you love yourself. Absolutely. That was wonderful. And, and also the, the fact that if you don't fix yourself, then your family's not going to have you anyway. So that's going to be the ultimate exactly. pain for them. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for that. And we are going to have Nikki back on another show. She has a, a very painful experience, actually, that uh, you survived in in recovery that um, we're going to be able to, to talk about and have some time to do that. Are you you're going to be able to come back tomorrow? Yes, I will. Okay, wonderful. And I would like to thank you again for being here, Nikki, and we will uh, continue what actually you've experienced in recovery on the next show. And for yeah. anyone that is uh, looking for help, please pick up the phone and, and reach out to somebody. The hotline is, is a, has a wealth of uh, counselors that can help you as well as uh, just the families that are looking for some insight as to what's going on with their loved one. That number is 
888-447-3635. We are Just Believe Radio, and if addiction is stealing your dreams, just believe there is another chance.